Hi, Brenna here from Context Travel. Welcome to In Context, a series of conversations with our scholars all over the world who are helping us to put their cultural capitals into context. The idea for this series has been germinating for some time and is honestly probably a little bit overdue, but given the ongoing news about coronavirus and the impact that that's having on daily life in general, but travel plans in particular, we felt a new sense of urgency to try and offer a means of exploring different parts of the world that perhaps don't have to involve packing your bags and getting on an airplane. So with that, thanks for joining us and settle in for a little bit of armchair travel this time to Spain. The first chat in our series is with the really wonderful Natalia Martinez, a food journalist and culinary expert based in Madrid. And full disclosure, at our recent company offsite in Spain, a group of us had the true, true pleasure of taking one of Natalia's Madrid tapas tours. And I have to say that now, even a couple of months later, the food experiences we had there and the tapas we tasted and the sherries we drank are still the topic of our office conversation. So I am really, really pleased to be here with Natalia. And with that, uh, Natalia, I'm just going to go ahead and kick it over to you to say hello. Thank you very much. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to talk. Basically, I'm from Madrid. I have uh, pretty much lived here all, all my life. Except a couple of times that I lived abroad. I, I lived in Belgium for a year. I did my exchange program there. Uh, I studied journalism, okay, so I was doing a, an exchange program there, uh, studied my career. I lived for a few months in the United States, and then I also lived in Vietnam for two years. And thanks to that, my English is a lot better, so you can understand me here. <laughs> no, you're doing great. I think everyone involved here is mostly happy that we're not trying to do this in my Spanish, which would be a real, a real disaster. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off script, though, just for a second, about your experience in Vietnam, which actually is news to me. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, Vietnam has such an interesting culinary culture of its own. I wonder if your experiences there had anything to do with you actually ending up in food or how how those couple of years might have shaped your understanding or your entry into the topic. I think that that kind of, because I started writing, like when I was in Vietnam, I, I was teaching mostly, but I was also writing for this um, English speaking magazine, but it was all about Vietnam. And that's where I started kind of like uh, doing, knowing my way around food, like how to speak about it and talk about it and like how to focus and use my vocabulary and also how to do the research and things like Vietnam is amazing in terms of like culinary uh, history and culture because of the different influences that it has had along the years like Chinese, Japanese, French, uh, American but Vietnam it just like plays it all plays it all and and that yeah I am pretty sure it helped me kind of like gave me more experience more more sensitivity and and things that have kind of like um draw my my way of um, talking about food and referring to food and, and seeing it. 
That must have been such an incredible experience. So speaking of talking about food, let's um, let's really get into it, Natalia. Um, let's talk about food in your city, in Madrid. So when you have, you know, you obviously guide for us. And so you're seeing people who are coming to visit the city for the first time, often through context, but I'm sure you also have family and friends who come to visit you from time to time also. And when you do have people coming to your city for the first time, what are a couple of the things that you love most about Madrid being a native of the city? You know, what are in, in whatever form that takes for you, what are, what are a couple of particular favorites? Yeah, I think that, um, well, again, everything is really around food to me. And sometimes I even think like, am I like, boring like not not boring in the way like i just talk all the time about food obviously there are other things to talk about but this is my passion and sometimes it's like okay maybe it's a little bit too obsessive and i always try to feel like or to to look for the food reason why to love something no but um i think that madrid uh, like the food culture has definitely shaped the identity of of this city no with all the different um dishes uh that the gastronomy has along the that they have been kind of like elaborating and creating along the years now that all the artists that have been like talking about them like there are a lot of um, artists like Montalban and and mm, let's say uh Quijo, some like different writings that writers that have really um done a lot for our food culture and and other things like I think that we have had a very rich past. Like there have been so many different mm, millstones and and steps. You know, like uh, we were really poor uh, during the war times, uh, the post-war. That was a really rough time, but that was kind of like recent. If you think of history, like it's there is still a long path behind that. No, but uh, every century has kind of like. Uh, print uh, um, uh, no way. A, a, a footprint sorry uh, like a stamp on 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 my on Madrid soul no like the architecture the bars the bars have just such an amazing um, like the bars that are from the past you know like 100 years old 200 years old they are all just like beautiful to look at beautiful to be at because there is this atmosphere that you can feel that you were in some of them in la dolores in taberna cervantes these ones are like 100 130 years old i was talking to to two of our clients yesterday during the tour and we were kind of like going around this question like how does it feel that suddenly spain is is a is worth visiting because the food no like before we used to like kind of fight not fight but compete with italy and and france no because obviously they have an amazing country and like uh well recipes histories um, but now it seems that hey, we are on the same level no so we were talking about all these different changes that have been like going around yeah it definitely does seem like Spanish cuisine is kind of having a moment, right? I mean, in, in New York, we, of course, had Little Spain open up in Hudson Yards not too long ago, which has kind of kicked off this, what feels a little bit like a Spanish food frenzy here. And, 
you know, names like Jose Andres and Ferran Adria are becoming more and more sort of household names here in the U.S. Um, but on our tour, if I'm remembering correctly, you actually mentioned that for a little while, you felt like people in Spain were starting to move a little bit away from traditional Spanish foods and traditional kind of tapas style eating. Um, and I just wondered if you could maybe tell us a little bit more about that trend and, and what you were seeing there for a while. I think that, yes, that there has been this, like, we were eager, we were starting to go out, we were starting to travel more, and we were starting also to get all these different things outside. So it was a new thing, you know, it was a new thing that we wanted to try and we wanted to experience. And probably that's why we put our focus and our attention into those things. But I think that, but then also, whenever you are outside, whenever you, like you go abroad, you also kind of like learn to appreciate what you have at home, no? So I think that it has all played a little part to make us value that even though it was still there, it's not that it was out of fashion, we were like, oh, this is really good. And this is what we always go back to, you know? Like I always, like if I count the percentage of times that I eat like a Spanish food or like, um tapas style food compared to other types of cuisine obviously Spain wins no it's very it's, it's what makes you feel at home it makes you feel comfortable it's the food that you are more fami more familiar with the tapas you know where the tapas philosophy it's a, a really good example for example tapas have been in our culture for centuries you know, this way of sharing food ordering like different portions of this and that and and it has always been part of our our identity and i think that we are kind of like rescuing it again like uh, we are kind of like valuing all those things that we brought from the past and after like these 10 past years there has been so many changes uh, related to food like we have gone international, no? Like with all the chefs, it all started with Ferran Adria and everything. There have been so many changes that with all the vanguard and uh, the new creativity and the new techniques and new innovations, we have kind of like lost our track, no? And now we are kind of like again trying to, hey, but we don't have to, you know, pretend that we need more because we also have this, that this is our, you know, mm. what we come from. And we are, again, like trying to like put it there, like to, to, to show it and to, to prove that it's amazing. And that's why I think that it's becoming again, like super popular, like internationally and everybody's coming, like trying to, it's like starting to love more and more Spain, but mostly because of uh, the food. Yeah. So thinking actually about, traditional Spanish foods, what are, you know, for someone who's maybe not as familiar with them or hasn't, hasn't yet had the pleasure of visiting Madrid, what are some of the defining characteristics in your mind about traditional Spanish cuisine? Mm -hmm. um, I think the product is uh, the fresh product and the quality of the product that we have mainly is what um, makes the difference. You know? We have uh, we don't have a really big country, but we have a very diverse country. We have uh, 
a long shore around it. We have a couple of different seas with different temperatures, different currents, and that's what's going to make the seafood and the fish a lot more fresh with a more intense and, and, and unique flavors. And that's from the outside. And then if you just go around the country, you have the mountains, you have the desert, you have the tropic in the Canary Islands. So you have such a big variety of different climates and things that make such a big pantry, give us such a big pantry. And that is what we use for the recipes to elaborate things. Each community has its folklore, its, its culture and everything. So from them, they have been like, um, creating different dishes. Now, for example, in Madrid, we have the cocido, which is the stew, chickpea stew with meat, with like um, sausage, chorizo. But then in Asturias, there is another one. In Galicia, there is another one. Each region has like, let's say, a, a signature dish. And all these stews all also have a reason to, to assist. And it's, again, like going back to the past, Mm, food was not as accessible and as cheap as it can be now. So we always tended to cook like cheap dishes with things that we had access to. For example, the pigs, the pork. We have a really, really, really big culture um, all around pork because this was the animal that you could get more stuff from, no? And like slaughteries were very common back in the day, you know, anymore because you need a, a bed and you need a lot of things to go through in order to prove that it's uh, good enough to, to eat or all that. But we we have been using everything about the poor, you know, we have the ham, we have all the cold cuts uh, uh, culture, uh, then different stews we also use those different of pork we used we try to use everything the greens because sometimes i've heard from a lot of people but in spain you only eat meat and you only eat bread but that's people that are not familiar enough i think with uh, with the country i think that they haven't experienced you cannot really talk about spanish food because you ate one day in a spanish food while being in germany or while being in argentina you know you can have a little idea out of it but you really need to go through it and experience it and 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 that's what you learn while like eating those different dishes okay other dishes like la tortilla de patata is such a simple thing but again it's something very cheap it's eggs and potato onion no onion there is a debate always constantly but very cheap so we kind of like always uh try to not try but like tend to blame it on the um, economic aspect and how rural was Spain and how we tried to do everything with this like little access that we had to different food. But again, with the climate, with all the different uh, parts and regions that are so different from each other, it made it very special. This is what we are trying to still to work on no? Yeah, you know, the the variety that you are talking about was actually the one thing that I think probably impressed me the most in my first time in Madrid just a few months ago with you. And I think even though in the US Spanish cuisine is kind of having having a bit of a moment, we 
it still sort of feels new to us often. You know, we, we are typically way more exposed to Italian food and to French food. And we just know a lot more about those culinary traditions and, and often Spanish cuisine for us sort of stops at Hamboni Birico and Manchego cheese. You know, that's like, those are the two things we know. And then we often don't get much exposure to, to ingredients and dishes that are kind of one level or two levels down from that. Um, and so the, the variety really was, was incredible. And I imagine must be something really fun to show off for people when they come to visit you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's normal. That's normal. Like uh, the other group that I had on Saturday, they they travel a lot. They are pilots. They were from Miami, but and they've been to Spain, I think, uh, before. But they were telling me we have been eating such things that we would never really go for if it wasn't because of you, because we don't know them, and because you don't know them, you kind of like don't risk uh, on them. But uh, for me, it was very, you know, pleasant to hear that, to, to hear that they were, you know, being adventurous and, and, and that there was a lot more to, to, to know farther from, farther from what they had always known, you know, or they, has, they, they had always thought about. It's not only about meat or cheese, there is so much more, you know, we, all, we have all the pickle things, all the canned food, okay, we have a really big industry. When it, comes to that uh all around because of all the fish of all the source uh the olives the oil you know how precious spanish olive oil is that even italian are buying it and just selling it as if it it was theirs (laughs) you know all these fruits but that's also a very important product you know that has been uh used in our cuisine for many years and what gives that flavor like for example anchovies you guys try the anchovies and a lot of people try the anchovies here. And I always tell them, I'm sorry, don't want to offend you, but these are not like on the States. Okay. You're going to try something different and it's really going to blow your mind and, you know, change your mind. All right. So let's get into the good stuff. Let's talk about your pearls of wisdom, you know, tips from the top for someone coming to visit Madrid. Um, So when you are taking people around or, you know, showing clients around on a tour, what for you are the one or two things in Madrid that are truly unmissable, you know, that you would say to somebody, do not leave this city unless you have eaten or seen or experienced X, Y, or Z? Yeah. So um, it depends whether it's their first time or not, but there is always something that is a must, which is going to La Plaza Mayor. For the little bars that has around all the corners of Bocadillo de Calamares, okay? Like a calamari sandwich. It's uh, made with like uh, a little baguette and, and then just the calamari, the squid deep fried. And you put a little bit of mayonnaise if you want, or a squirch of lemon, and that's it. And you just like have it with a caña, a glass of uh, a little glass of beer. We call cañas here, uh, the like the small size of the beer, and and that's just precious. That's just like precious and priceless. And that's uh, something that you never get tired. It never never gets old. That's one of the stops. 
I'm, I've been taking a lot, um, like recently to the people that were visiting me to some different markets. The markets uh, lately in Madrid, like local markets have changed a lot. Like they used to be traditional markets where uh, family, families used to go for their groceries, no? uh, where to find the best and, and freshest uh, product. But um, unfortunately, with all the openings of like the big uh, department stores, you know, and big shops and supermarkets, um, these were just getting empty. People wouldn't go um, to buy more because it was not as uh, either cheap or either handy for them. But there has been, uh, during the last few years, there, have, there has been kind of like a, a renewal plan and um, they have kind of like been converted in, they still have some of their shops where you can buy like fresh food, but there are a lot of different tiny restaurants and bars and each market is crazy, but each market has a soul, a different soul. And you go to this market because you are looking for this type of food or this type of atmosphere or even people, the kind of people that hangs out in the markets are different. Um, so for example, on Saturdays, there is this Mercado de la Cebada, which is in La Latina, one of the oldest neighborhoods in Madrid center. Um, there is always these on Saturdays, there is always this kind of like I call it seafood party. There are two shops like uh, for fish, two fish shops where the fishmongers are, and they all display this feast of, of seafood like um, mussels, razor clams, cockles, octopus, where everything is cooked or they cook it at the moment for you. So everybody can be standing, like holding a tray with the, the different things and some white wine. And it's just the plan. And everybody that I've taken there, they were just like, we don't want to leave. Like, we can just stay here forever. So that's something that I really like. And sometimes I also try to like take them, depending where they are coming from or, or this or that. But I also try to take them maybe to some kind of new restaurant um, that is a little bit more like fine dining or it has something special because it belongs to the South or they have this like specific dishes or even an Asian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant. It depends. Oh, well, you had me at seafood party. I will um, apparently have to come back to Madrid for that. Um, but that actually leads me perfectly, thank you, into my next question, which was just going to be about a few of the restaurants that you really love in town. You know, you obviously do this for a living, and I'm sure at some points you're you're potentially even tired of eating out in restaurants in Madrid. But what are a couple of your favorite spots for someone who's coming to visit? Yeah. Mm, definitely there are some ones like uh, the ones that i um, that we go uh, during our tapas tours are actually really good ideas okay uh even though they might seem uh, touristy they are not a lot uh, and not at all like the there is a mix between tourists but there is also a very familiar and like friendly atmosphere there and and you're not gonna get rid of for anything because some of them are these geese but try not to go obviously to the ones that have these pictures with the different dishes outside that's something I think that uh, is worth mentioning but I think it's common sense but anyway uh, Cervantes uh, Tavern in la, plaza, in la Calle Jesús Plaza Jesús is really nice next to it you can find uh, La Dolores La Dolores is a really nice tavern from 1907 uh, where you can just 
uh, if you find some room at the end, at the back of the bar, you're lucky, but you can just be standing. And that's like the fun part of it. And you can like have a, a caña or a glass of wine and get some gildas or gildas. That's a hard word for you guys. And um, all the pickled food, all the, like the dry fish, the, la mojama, the, the dry tuna that we ate, that's great. Uh, that street also has a, a few different bars also restaurants like Bermu or next to it, La Elisa. But then also in another neighborhood, we find uh, in Malasaña, that is the name of the neighborhood, we find La Ardosa. It's a beautiful tavern, also an old tavern. Uh, where they serve this beautiful tortilla. So if you're looking for a good tortilla, that's your place. Mm, La Malaje is also a very nice restaurant. If you want to like uh, get in touch with like um, Andalusian uh, food, like food from Cadiz, from the south of Spain, and also great to to know about sherry, like have a pairing dinner with sherry wines. Um, that's a, a really good um, matter that I try to uh, point out during my tours because people have really no idea about sherry wines. Yeah, you know, we did that sherry tasting with you as part of our tapas tour. And I have to say that for me, that was one of the real highlights. It was just something that I didn't know anything about. Um, so for, for anyone traveling to Spain or, or planning to join you on one of the tapas tours, I would really recommend adding in one of those sherry tastings, which brings me to, you know, drinking, um, and drinking in Madrid. So just tell me a little bit about how you think about pairings with the various tapas that you are eating or, um, generally kind of things that are must drinks for someone visiting, you know, what are the couple of things that someone ought to have an eye out for and, and be sure that they try. It depends how do you want to take it up. Like, for example, if you're not looking to go very crazy with the alcohol, just stick to beer. Okay, it's a most friendly thing. Uh, but, uh, well, Kanyas, I, I, I really like beer, actually. Uh, but if I have or if I can drink wine, uh, a nice Rioja could be beautiful, too. Okay, a red wine, Tempranillo, you know, Rioja, this region north of Spain, one of the, if not the most popular one in, in Spain. But I love, as I was saying, sherry wines. I, um, with my job, I, I get to do some, like, fresh trips, and I recently uh, took one to the south of Spain, to Jerez, where the sherry is made, and that really helped me to understand a little bit more about these wines. And I... I know that seen from outside, sherry is always taken as a sweet, a strong, um, not very friendly wine sometimes. It depends on the quality. It can be also mistaken with port wine because they have something in common. We have uh, sherry wines. They can only be from Jerez. They can only be from that far. So you cannot call uh, a, a Porto, a, a wine from Porto, a sherry, okay? Because they just belong to that far. There is this like kind of like uh, certification stamps, uh, like denomination of origin that kind of like regulates the quality and they certify that they belong to this place and they have been done through the system that they should be. Uh, but anyway, um, the the magic of the sherry wines is that 
people have been thinking always are like relating them to like strong, very um, uh, with a lot of body, but mostly for dessert. But there is um, so much to know about them, like starting from um, how they are done, how they are made. They can only be made there because of the special climate that uh, they have, and also the ground where they grow okay it's like a special uh type of ground and a special type of climate that makes those uh make those wines so special and from one grape you can get uh five different types of wines with different graduation with different tones with different flavors and that's just like mind-blowing but anyway um it's coming just from all the process, all the history that is behind them, okay? Uh, for example, Sherry with Shakespeare, excuse me, was uh, one of our best ambassadors because he he loved, he was a Sherry lover. And in many of his uh, books, he used to write about them. You know, there are a lot of different references in the book, as well as with Cervantes. Cervantes was our, uh, well, the English, Shakespeare, right? Like uh, our like most important writing writer from the 16th century, like Don Quixote author, no? And and there are a lot of different hints and themes and like references to history with uh, these wines and like knowing and learning about them, you get to see how special they are. How can you pair them? Like for example, some of the best sommeliers in in the world, not only in Spain. Uh, have said that sherry wines are the mm, best wines to pair with food because it gives you so many different levels of uh, flavors, um, mm, textures, uh, the way it kind of like works in your mouth, mm, the body of them. Like we kind of start from one that is like very clear, very light, Palomino or, or uh, excuse me, Fino or Manzanilla. And from there, you go switching to Amontillado, Oloroso. And each one, like for example, the first ones that I told you, they work absolutely well with ham, with cheese, with the mojama, the dry tuna that we had. That's actually something very common to have in the south of Spain. A little sherry, yeah, a little glass of sherry of Manzanilla or Fino with some dry fish. It's like the combination, like the salty and the acidic and the saltiness of the of the sea, because they they are very close to the sea, so they have a lot of influence from the ocean. Uh, and then, like going to other more elaborated dishes, like uh, the tribes that we ate, the pork tribe that we ate with that palo cortado, it's just like it was boosting the the spiciness. No, like you could really feel how it was growing all the flavor in your mouth. It's something really, really, really interesting to to do to get adventures. I understand that because they are fortified wines, and I understand that you need to take it easy because you can get drunk after two two glasses they are over 15 uh, degrees of percentage of alcohol but if you drink it responsibly <laughs> and um, in a nice way and you know how to combine it it's really really a, a great experience to enjoy truly unbeatable yeah that really was one of our favorite bits of the tour so Taking our previous question, just kind of from the opposite angle, what are, if any, a few things in Madrid that to you seem kind of overrated? You know, in every in every big city, there's always a couple of things that, for whatever reason, end up being really popular, but but can 
feel a little bit just overblown or overcrowded. Are there any things like that in Madrid that come to mind for you? Um, let's say that, um, for example, the center, like everybody's going out and in and out, you know, and, and during the weekends, the center gets very, very crowded. Um, I'm not saying that they are overrated, but because people like it so much, they tend to just like go there, like in, in mass, you know, and like, for example, Malasaña sometimes turns into a kind of circus that is hard to walk along the street. So Malasaña is better to be visited um, during the week to enjoy more the vibe, you know, like the local vibe. And it's also a great place or a great, great neighborhood to go out at night. But Saturday around six or during the day, it's just like impossible, it's chaotic. Happens the same thing with the Rastro. The Rastro is the flea market that happens in La Latina on Sundays. It's a great thing, but don't go after 12, you will regret it. Like it's hard to walk, it's like a main street. Then if you go like off streets because it's just like a main street that goes down and then it's some little like alleys with uh, even more interesting because these ones are the ones that have like antique boutiques or like little corners with design shops or like fabrics or even like tiny little bars that are not as crowded as like the main street so you need to like find your way and like leave the main street but yes, uh, also, for example, in La Latina, there is another street that is very popular for tapas, which is called La Cava Baja. And that's always very, very crowded. And uh, it, it's just a mix of different bars and restaurants. Some of them are good, some of them are not, but it's always kind of like hard to, to, to get it right. You know, they are kind of like these kids. So if you don't know them, if you don't really know them because you've been there first and you've tried, uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Mm. They are great and that's why people are there. So I'm not saying that they are really overrated, but they are overcrowded. And there are other places probably to enjoy also parallel to these ones. So on the converse, other than the couple of favorites that you mentioned earlier, are there sites or foods or restaurants or anything like that that to you feel like they sort of unfairly fly under the radar? Are there, are there things that in your mind are a little bit maybe underrated? I think that, for example, next to the Royal Palace, uh, a very nice spot are the Sabatini Gardens, like these beautiful gardens that have like labyrinth uh, bushes and all that. And you can always see people, but there's not many, many people and people don't really go or I think that don't appreciate them enough. But it has really nice sunsets um, as well as the Devot Temple, but that tends to be very crowded, mostly during the summer. There is also there are also some other museums um, far from the Prado Museum or the Tisse Museum or the Reina Sofia Museum. Uh, there is the ABC Museum in the Conde Duque neighborhood, and that always has like uh, different exhibitions. Uh, well, they are always like changing, uh, like temporary exhibitions. The building is beautiful, it's more modern, and that neighborhood is actually not as crowded as other ones. You can always go there uh, during the weekends. is is lovely, it's like 
it's nice to walk around. And then there is another museum that is next to Atocha station that is called Neomudejar. It's uh, it, it used to work as a like a train storage thing. So it's kind of like a warehouse. And they have these like kind of quirky, weird exhibitions, uh, but worth checking out. Like some of the artists are kind of like uh, actually very surprising and interesting. But the building itself, it's nice to, to go to. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to throw back a bit just to something we were talking about earlier when you were telling us a little bit about some of the trends you were seeing in Spanish food and what sounds like a newfound appreciation for traditional Spanish cuisine and ingredients and dishes. And I'm just wondering, are there other, apart from that, other trends that you're seeing crop up or ingredients that kind of seem to be hot at the moment or just anything else that you're finding is kind of interesting and, and new these days on the culinary scene? It's all about trends, I think, yes. And, and for example, some of the articles that I write are like these uh, lists that are like the best croquetas in Madrid, the best tortillas in Madrid. You know? So I, I kind of like see what is uh, going, like being a little bit more trendy. And I've noticed like during this past two years, for example, tor uh, torretnos, torretnos are like the pork belly, deep fried pork belly, very similar to chicharron, okay? Those ones have become very uh, famous. They've been always in the bar. They've been because they were very cheap and that was something just to sna a snack out of, uh, that was very handy, no? But um, again, with the knowledge, with the experience of different chefs, they have kind of like brought them into his scene, like brought them back to his scene again, and they are cooking them in a nicer way, not as greasy or different ways. And but a lot of uh, fine restaurants are actually in, in like um, including them in their in their food menus, not only in the bars, in a regular bar, a corner bar that you would go, but also like nice restaurants. And they are doing great them and and also for example with hildas the the, the pickle thing that we ate in la, in la, in la dolores the la gilda or gilda this uh, it's kind of like a, a stick uh, where you put for the listeners that don't know you put a, an olive uh like let's say a, a pickled chili like you have pickled it in in vinegar but it's quite like acidic and sour and spicy it's like kind of like makes you shake your head you now when you're eating it like this. Um, and then also anchovy. Those have to be like the three pillars uh, of what a Hilda has to be made from. But then uh, if you want, you can always like make your version. You can add this or that. And a lot of different restaurants are making their own Hilda. They're like uh, making these like creative uh, um, Hildas or like yes, they they wouldn't be really called Hildas if like very classes uh, classes people uh, thought about it like no because you are just putting everything everything this is not a salad this is a Hilda no but some of the chefs are doing really really nice things for example there is a, a Korean chef um, who is the the chef from this uh, restaurant called Luke a really nice uh, chef 
actually he got a, a satellite. We have our own Michelin Awards in Spain, okay? And, and it, it just happened a few days ago, so he got an award. Uh, his first award, so that's uh, good news. But anyway, <laughs> and going off the path, he makes this really nice field up um, with like um, the root of the lotus flower with some tuna uh, like covered in sesame, some kimchi, also the pickle, but it doesn't really have uh, olive or anchovy. So could you call it Hilda? Mm, you know? But ah, I see. This Kind of like what's happening like everybody's trying to you know be a little bit more creative and uh trying to like not everybody but a lot of different restaurants uh, and that's fun you know that's fun well since you mentioned hilda's which i remember on our tour you were telling us those originated in san sebastian i wonder if for someone coming to spain who kind of wants you know an end-to-end -end culinary experience across a number of different cities and wants to go to Madrid and then go to city A and city B. What are some of the other spots that you might recommend for someone to stitch together as part of a longer food oriented itinerary? Well, uh, Granada, mm, I think it's a really, mm, really good point to start uh, as well, because Granada is actually Kind of like known for the city of tapas for example in madrid is not as common to to get like uh food um, out of search age like they maybe they give you a little thing but you need to pay for food but in granada um, there is this thing that you order a glass of beer or a glass of wine and they give you like loads of food and also it's well granada is in the south okay and in andalusia so it has all these different cultures more like andalusian food mm -hmm. uh, they also have their ham they're very special they have their deep fried fish uh different like well gazpacho and salmorejo salmorejo is more from cordoba next to it but it all it's all around there so it's nice for that kind of thing, also for meat. Uh, and the city is beautiful. You have La Alhambra, which is uh, uh, an amazing place to visit. Uh, you have all the neighborhoods, uh, all the streets, so it's great to walk around. And then San Sebastián. San Sebastián is famous for their pinchos. Uh, San Sebastián is in the Basque country. Uh, it's on the shore. Uh, it, I think it's one of the most beautiful city beaches no, that I, I've seen. And, and that obviously Spain has by far. And, and it's a very like, it's a, it's a cool city because it has the, like the um, easy going and, and layoff vibe, but also the very sophisticated, sophisticated vibe, you know, like a lot of elegant people, people like to dress up, people like to, you know, go for their walks and during the weekends, they like to go to the La Parte Vieja, like the old center to go for pinchos. They have the pinchos there are the little tapas and that's where all this culture kind of started. The Gildas are from San Sebastian and it's just great to go there and just like get lost around the center, go to the beach. Uh, it's just next to the mountain. So it's also super nice to just like go hiking. That's great. Oh, sounds delightful. We're in that weird, maybe winter, maybe spring season here in New York. So a little coastline would be very, very welcome. But speaking actually of seasons and weather, I'm just wondering if there are 
seasonal specialties that you look for in Spanish cuisine? You know, are there from season to season certain ingredients or dishes that crop up that you think might be interesting for someone coming to visit to keep an eye out for? Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> for example, what I was telling you about the stews, the stews are made for winter. We eat a lot of cocido during winter. We had a strange winter this year, but still we've been eating a lot of that. You know, it has to be like legumes and filling and stuffing food that keeps you warm. So a lot of that, a lot of like comfort food happens during winter. Then <clears throat> It depends on the on the like festivities. Obviously, Christmas has uh, there are different dishes, particularly dishes like uh, lamb or fish, a lot of seafood, more special things that you you can invest money and time cooking. No, uh, but then in Easter we have like some different dishes as well. Like we eat these different stews with chickpeas and cod. Like, and then in summer, we try to eat a lot of like cold soups, like gazpacho, this tomato soup, which is so popular, salmorejo, which is very similar, but you use it with bread or bichesquas or like um, Russian salad. It's like a potato salad made with mayonnaise uh, and you eat it cold. So all these kind of like dishes that are cold and refreshing is what we try to, to go for. Okay, so just a couple more, and then I promise I will let you go. One question that we often get from clients, and I'm sure you probably get it directly from people on your tours, is this idea of almost like pre-trip homework. You know, hey, I'm coming to Madrid. What can I read or watch or listen to before I arrive that might help me get a feeling for the city or help me kind of understand a bit about the place that I'm going to visit? And so if you Maybe actually, if you hearken back to your days as a teacher in Vietnam, if you were assigning homework to someone who was coming to visit Madrid, what are some of the things that might be on that list? Let's say that there are a few different movies uh, that they can watch if they can find in their in their language. That would be <laughs> helpful. Or maybe a, a Spanish. We could brush up on our Spanish too. Mm-hmm. Yes, but there are some uh, very famous directors uh, you might be familiar with. Almodovar. He's uh, this very authentic uh, director that always like films movies that have something to do with Spain that really like um, draw the identity or different costumes or different situations or different experiences that uh, belong or either the past or the recent past or or the or the present and one of um, one of his uh, films that can be very nice to get in touch a little bit with the with the culture with the way of being is volver volver which means to come back okay well there you have it there is your homework um natalia did we did we miss anything is there anything we didn't talk about do you think i don't think so i don't know how was it With that, let me just thank everyone who's been able to join us for our very first In Context conversation. Look for more of this from us in the coming months and get in touch with us anytime through our website, contexttravel.com. In the meantime, we wish you lots of health and curiosity ahead. Talk to you soon.